With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. What a sentence. What a sentence. What a powerful sentence. What a, what a hopeful and, and, and poetic and magnetic sentence. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This is a prophetic sentence. That is a prophecy that has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled. That is a prophecy about you. That is a prophecy about us. Isaiah wrote this prophecy by the Spirit of the Lord some 700 years before Jesus. So about 2,700 years before us sitting here in this room today. But he's prophesying about us. He's prophesying about the people of God. He's prophesying about the church. Now first, here's what we need to do. We need to get our bearings so we can draw out the riches of this this text. So this is chapter 12. What chapter is right before it? Chapter 11. We're off to a good start. Chapter 11 is how God will bring his wayward people out of exile again. He will bring them out of exile again. There is going to be a second exodus. There is going to be an ultimate exodus. And that's what chapter 11 is about. In that chapter, it says that one will come out like a shoot from the stump of Jesse, new life from the, the, life, the line of King David. And this one will come with the spirit of the Lord upon him full of wisdom and understanding and might and righteousness. He will reconcile that which is broken, bring peace. And in his day, God will extend his mighty hand and bring his people from all nations to be his people together. This is the day of the Messiah, and the Messiah has come. Jesus has come. Our Savior has changed everything. And because he has come, this is why we read here in verse 1, You will say in that day, give thanks to you, O Lord. We give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his present rule and forever reign, we are forgiven. We're not who we were. We are washed We are cleansed. We're united to God. We are adopted. He delights in us as his children. He has comforted us in Christ. We are made his own in love. Everything is different now. And because of this new reality, we now say, verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. Yeshua T in Hebrew. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength. He's my song, and he has become my salvation. This is so cool. Give me a moment of of time on this. The word for salvation or my salvation in here is Yeshua. What is the word Yeshua for us? Jesus. Three times, a, a trifecta, this prophecy says Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. And if you read this line, and he has become my salvation, it's, and he has become Yeshua. God, my Savior, has become Yeshua. This is the gospel according to Isaiah. This is incredible. And now we who live in the brilliant reality of this, we're told 
that we will with joy draw water from the wells of salvation. This is a reference to God taking his people out of slavery in Egypt, right? He takes them out from under the thumb of a cruel tyrant. He splits the sea. He crushes the enemy. And then in the wilderness, he brings them to a garden area called Elam, 70 palm trees and 12 wells to drink from. It's Exodus 15. He brings them out, and then they draw from the wells of salvation that he pours out. It's awesome. God's redeemed people are to be a joyous people. We are to be a with joy people because of who God is and because of what he has done for us. See, we need to understand that joy is, joy is a relational term. It's not, it's not an abstraction. It's not just a feeling, though it is something that registers in the complexity of our, of our emotions and our being. It's, it's not simply some kind of good circumstance that we have some, some good chemicals that feel great about it. It's a relational term, and it's actually sourced ultimately from, from God. And you could say that joy has much to do with mutual delight. Joy has much to do with mutual delight. Joy, you can say, is to delight in the one who delights in you. This is like the ultimate form of joy, to delight in the one who delights in you, reciprocity. See, there's joy, mutual delight among spouses, they delight in one another, parents and children, friends and co-workers. We can delight in the glories of creation because when we do, we are delighting in the good things that God has put in this world that he delights in and we're meeting in that delight. So joy in its most purest form is delight in God. Joy comes from a God who is, he is this eternal relationship of delight. The Father delights in the Son. How many father wounds in this room <laughs> How many of us have wanted to hear our Father say, I delight in you? And then Son delights in the Father. How many parents in this room have wanted to hear their children say, I delight in you, Mom. I delight in you, Dad. And the Spirit, the Spirit of joy, the Spirit of delight, the Father delighting in the Son, the Son delighting in the Father, the Spirit, the Spirit of joy, the delight of the two. And it is with joy, with the Spirit, that we draw waters from the well of salvation. Because we are united to him. We're saved by who he is. He is our delight. He has rescued us from the slavery that we have been in. From the despair, from, from the addictions, from the dark things and the dark places that we, we knew so well. He's taken us out. He's split impossible seas. He's crushed the head of the enemy. He's brought us to the wells of Elam and says, drink freely. You are my people. We are to be a people of joy. Joy is, is to know God. It is in knowing God. Joy is in delighting in God. So we are a with joy people who are prophesied that we would delight in him. And this delight, by the way, is not just a thought in the brain like, oh, I'm joyful. Oh, I have a thought of joy. It's not some hidden away thing. It is, it is a reality that is expressed and articulated and embodied in the way we live. And this gets to the how. How do we draw water from the wells of salvation with joy? Uh, look at verses 4 through 6 here. He goes on and says, And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. 
Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that he is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout, sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Say, give thanks, call upon, make known, proclaim, sing praises, shout, sing for joy. These are the how of drawing up the waters and nourishing on the waters of the salvation he has already procured. We don't do this to get saved. We have been radically saved. And now in response, we get to drink from the well that he has dug for us by his own suffering and resurrection. It's incredible. These are words of manifestation, words of expression. They're forms of outward expression. Do you notice that? They're forms of outward expression. Isaiah prophesied about us, prophesied about you. He prophesied that we would gather together like this, that we would sing, and that we would express and unashamedly and maybe awkwardly raise our hands and sing out of, out of two notes. You know, feeling like an awkward introvert in the middle of a whole crowd trying to do these things. But he prophesied about us. He prophesied that we would delight in God and that that riot of joy would look strange and weird to a world and be magnetic to a people who live in gloom. Do you ever notice how, uh, how attractive joy is? Like when you walk into a room... And there's somebody, not with the cheesy, like, fake, you know, artificial plastic smile kind of thing, but, like, there's just something that radiates, and there's a, there's a wonder, there's an awe, and there's a hope that, that's in them, and there's, like, this light that attaches to them from across the room, and you're like, I don't know what, what he has, but I want to be close to it. Any, anybody? Like, is that attractive? But then, then, then you walk into a room, and there's, like, the frumpy, like, soured face, like, just there's a dark, you know, it's like the, the cloud, you know, the dust, dust cloud, you know, and you're like, man, I, I, my heart goes out for him, but that's, that's not what we're called to. That's not what we're drawn to. Ever wonder why authors like C.S. Lewis or G.K. Chesterton are perennially favorites? Because of their strict, incredible logic, partly, but because they could laugh. They could laugh. They knew we were dust breathed into by God, and they were full of mirth in their bones, and people would want to sit by a fire and hear them tell stories because it wasn't all about them. There was some great grand reality, and it had the shine of laughter to it. It's beautiful. And what an apologetic. To be those who radiate the joy of the Lord and we're drawing up buckets, drinking this water, and people are going, what is your deal? And you're like, I'm drinking of the joy of the Lord. Our vision this year is to be those who with joy draw water from the wells of salvation. That means that with joy we come here to worship. With joy we open up our mouths and sing and we get into our body and our, our neurological system and our muscles. And we praise the king with every ounce of us because he made every cell in our body. 
It means that with joy, we are on mission. With joy, we go out those doors. With joy, we go and we meet with our neighbors and the city and those at Inklings. It means with joy that we know that he has entered history, that the God who created everything has entered into history to make for himself a people, to break unjust chains and dethrone pharaohs and tyrants, to split impossible seas, to draw water from rocks, that we might be a people who bear fruit amidst our wilderness experiences and taste of his honey. It means that with joy we see how the transcendent holy God is somehow imminent here. Emmanuel, God with us, loved us so much that he would take on all of this to be with us and to restore it and redeem us. It means that with joy we can testify that we are not who we once were and he is making us more and more like him. It means that with joy, that we are called into partnership with him to to help this world be renewed and restored, to seek the flourishing of all those we come in contact with. We are divine partakers of his nature and then of his mission. That's awesome. It's incredible. It means that with joy we are commissioned to this kingdom work to embody the kingdom of heaven here in Pleasanton. It means that with joy we might do things we never could do on our own because the spirit of God lives within us and is empowering us to love like we could never love on our own. It means that we are empowered to make mature and mobilized apprentices of Jesus with joy. Because with joy, we're united to him because of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus and the sending of the Spirit. We're united to him. It means now that with joy, we get to abide with this Jesus. As the psalmist says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What's that about? It's about the one, being with the one you love. It's about delighting And the one who lights up when you walk into his presence and he says, sit down. I want your cup to overflow. I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay. Be with me. So with joy we are drawn into intimacy. With joy we obey the word of God. We we shema, we hear it, we, we do it, we taste and see that he is good. And we live in accordance with the grain of the universe and and through God's power, we become a fruitful people. With joy, we image Jesus, for we are becoming more like him, being conformed to his image, and someday we will stand face to face with him, glorified with joy. We know that our faithful cross-enduring God will never leave us and never forsake us. And so all those wounds of being abandoned and, and hurt that trigger us, he is not them. He will stay faithful. It means with joy we remember the marvels that he has done. We witness to his goodness and we let people know that we were once in the kingdom of darkness and now we are in the son's kingdom of light. With joy, not with complaints. With joy, not cynicism. With joy, not bitterness. With joy, not with shame clinging. 
with joy, not with guilt pulling us down. With joy. With joy, we know that we are the beloved children of God. As, as John says, see what kind of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are with joy. And, and here's the deal. I have to move on. We could do this listing all day, and I encourage you to do it. Do it till you're sick of hearing the words with joy. How is this possible? Well, verse 6. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is incredible. That term, in your midst, means within, or even your inward part, inward part of a city or inward part of a human being, or in your middle. How is it possible to be people who enjoy God who once hated him? Because his spirit, the spirit of joy, now lives within us. God is in our midst. His spirit is present. And so by grace, we get to, we get to foster the delight that is natural to the spirit of God that now lives inside of us. And so say, give thanks, call upon, make known, proclaim, sing praises, shout, sing for joy even when your lips feel cold and tired, even when your body feels lazy and lethargic. Do these things and draw up the waters of goodness and life and truth. Now, this means a couple things. This means our vision for this year is more about tone and posture and, and faithful expression rather than a litany of, of events and a bunch of metrics. And it means that we are going to keep leaning into Bible exposition because joy is in knowing God. And this points us to Jesus who shows us the Father. We open up the word to be intimate with God and to know him. So we're going to keep leaning further and further into Bible exposition and opening up the scriptures faithfully. And it means that we are going to keep pressing into the practices of apprenticeship which are empowered by joy and delight in him and cultivate joy and delight in us. Now, uh, I want to I shift and change the tone here just a little bit for the last 10 minutes, still attached to this vision. But um, I wanted to, if you don't mind, give a couple of my, my personal reflections on sabbatical that relate to this. So shift a little bit, but we're still going in the same general direction, okay? Um, <clears throat> what a wonderful three months it's been for my family and I. Man. It's been so good. It's been so good. I wanted to come back with a good report, and I have a great report. It was full of rest and play and, and wonder. So this isn't some huge, profound thing, maybe theologically sounding, but it's a huge, profound thing for the soul of somebody made in the image of God, like, to rest again, to play, to realize you've been out of the practice of laughter. And just to enjoy silly things again. It was so, it was so good. Guys, we, we, were, um, we were in five states, two islands, slept in seven beds over three months, which means I also drove five minivans. So be jealous, five swagger wagons this summer. I know that's on your bucket list. I've knocked it off, okay? I could tell you stories about swimming with turtles and like glassy turquoise waters and climbing like Mars-like volcanoes and 
and uh, jumping off of piers and, and, and waterfalls and eating the best ahi fish burrito in Kauai you have ever thought of or could imagine. Um, I could tell you about those things I just did, but I really don't have time. can't do a travel log here. Um, if you want to, you can come over to our house and I will like make your brain bleary by putting all the slides up on airplay and we'll just go through thousands of them, okay? But there's two things I need to highlight before my time is up here. Um, God, God did take me on an inner inner journey, which I know a number of you were praying that he would just keep working in me, and he's faithful. He's faithful. When we left on sabbatical, it, it wasn't because there was some hidden, like, oh, no, we have to do some triage moment in the church, and churches hide this stuff by shoving a pastor into sabbatical mode and, like, trying to make sure everything's okay, and hopefully he comes back healthy. Like, that was not the case. It was strategy. It was wisdom by the elders putting in the sabbatical policy. But that said... God had in store for me some significant healing that he knew I would need in order for this second half of my ministry, Lord willing, and the second half of my life. I'm 44, secret's out. I turn 45 in a few weeks. That means I started pastoring here some 14 years ago, and a lot has happened in those 14 years. There's been a lot of personal loss in our family. And there has been a lot of personal loss in friendships. Uh, leading is hard and confusing and muddling and messy. Uh, there's been a loss of working relationships. And I pray that there's been a huge loss of ego and self-surety and brash zealousness. Um, and all this to say, here's what God showed me and here's what he did. Uh, God had to tend to a, a deep subterranean river of sadness in me. Uh, and he had to integrate that sadness. And the problem was, is I was often unwilling to acknowledge the sadness and the streams of disappointment because, uh, I don't know why, uh, maybe it was just too painful, but I, I, I couldn't acknowledge them, and he had to excavate those and say, hey, this thing is flowing in you, and it is stealing your joy. It's sapping it from you. You're not trusting me with it. Give me your tears, and so I had to take a good, honest look uh, at the face of, of the sadness. Um, sadness for things done, sadness for things I've, I've done, ways I haven't led well. Sadness for wounds received from like childhood up till just recently to uh, wounds that I have, have given, and those things made me sad. I know it's not really cool and tough to say. Um, but I think it's good and I think it's right. And what God's done is integrated those things. And here's the cool thing. Joy and, and sorrow aren't mutually exclusive. They can live together in this integrated, cohesive whole where you can give those things to him. And you don't have to pretend to be joyful until all those things are gone. Like you can actually be joyful while you're processing those things because the God of all creation is weaving you back together. And Jesus was a man of sorrows and he knows. And now he's restoring you. So God's been integrating these things in me. And I know it sounds like a counterintuitive message, like, hey, welcome back. Heath was sad. <laughs> Woo! God excavated those sorrows so that I could draw with joy from his well of salvation. Now, that's an incredibly distilled version of a very complex and layered reality that I dealt with for three months. <laughs> Moving on. The second realization came through reading 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.7 is an incredibly well-known verse, and you probably know it just by me saying it. 
But it's, it's this, for God gave us a spirit not of fear or timidity, but of power and love and self-control. Um, I read that verse, uh, and it read me that day. And as clear as day that God spoke in my heart, I'm not sure what your theology is on that, but it was crystalline and clear. And he said, you have confused tenderness with timidity. Tenderness is not fear. Tenderness is not timidity. And it's true. It rang so true. I have often confused tenderness with being timid. Fear, fear of, of men and women, fear of looking like a bad leader, fear of looking like a bad father, fear of all the stuff. But that's not trust in God who holds it all together. That's not trust. He's given us a spirit of security because my dad has me. And Jesus won't let go of me. And his spirit is in me forever. Well, fear can live in that condition, in that Light. I mean, it's, look, it's always been important for me to lead with tenderness because I heard things on the front end of ministry. It's like it'll, it'll make you callous and you'll, you'll start to lose your love and your tenderness and your compassion. That's just the way it is. And I wanted to fight that with every ounce of my being. No, that's not the way Jesus was. He's tender. He's tender. But everything isn't okay with Jesus. Like he calls people out. He, he draws the poison out of those who aren't living in, in line with love. He, he gets in people's faces, but he always does it in love. He was willing to do the hard thing when it made him look bad. He wasn't seeking the opinions of men and women, which I have. He wasn't doing that out of insecurities. He was secure. I have done it out of insecurity. He wasn't trying to curry favor with the different political components or constituents of a, of a body or, or a government. Or he wasn't trying to make everyone happy, which is like a pet sin of mine. Hey, let's just, just be happy. You know, get along. He wasn't trying to prove himself or to not offend anyone. He was trying to love every person who was in front of him. And that came at great personal cost to him. So when I read 2 Timothy that day and the Spirit of the Lord read my mail, <laughs> he let me know that I have confused tenderness and timidity. And there's been times where I needed to be active and I have been passive and I am um, sorry for that. But I want to lean more into tenderness and the appropriate toughness of having compassionate, crucial conversations in the way of Jesus. And this can happen by delighting in him. When he's your delight, and this person isn't your ultimate delight, or this goal isn't your ultimate delight, but when he's your ultimate delight, then you are now free to speak truth and to love and not be bound by these things called idols, right? So that replacing a trust in him freed up joy in me, because now I can enjoy him and not have to worry about all these things. So with that said, guys, as I re-enter this atmosphere, and it does kind of feel like I have been in space, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm hoping all the, the ceramic tiles on the, the shuttle hold as I re-enter, you know, and the, the heat shield is all blazing. Like, uh, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that what you're going to get is a more transparent and honest and forthright, and genuine, and um, 
bold and a kindly, courageous me. One that will certainly make mistakes, absolutely no doubt, but I know that he's the one who holds his church together and, and not me and my um, tendencies to control things. And so... <laughs> so it is with joy that I return to you, and not with some chintzy, like, let's just be happy, but like a deep river of delight in God, integrating sorrow and difficulties, walking through a wasteland together, God giving us water and honey and food in the middle of it, and us celebrating and saying, he is our God, Jesus is Lord. So I come to you today, <clears throat> it's clearer than ever, to say again what you guys know, Jesus is Lord, and with joy we will go singing and praising and proclaiming into this next year. And I want to invite you on a journey of joy. And let me just, just say this. For some of you, that means God will excavate some sorrow in your life to integrate that sorrow and that joy and to offer it up. And that means some of you are going to have to enter into certain relationships um, with a, a counselor or a therapist or a friend or a calm group. And there needs to be some of that vulnerability in order for these things to stop stealing the life that God keeps pouring into you. He is for you and he loves you. With joy. Can we say that together? With joy. Oh, that was good, but I think we got way more. Like, at least another lungful. Ready? One, two, three. With joy. That was, all right. One more. One, two, three. With joy. Let us make mature and mobilize apprentices of Jesus with joy. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for carrying me up here and allowing me to be with my family. So good to be here. Thank you, Lord, for your joy. Thank you for the spirit of the living God in frail flesh. Frail flesh. Thank you for the spirit of the living God in us. We love you. Lord, would you bless my friends now in the name of Jesus. Amen.